0: chapter 3. I understood what you were saying. It was going to be just a little awkward. Like, if this was annoying anybody else. i just trying to be my a better. <laughs> 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 yeah, it it's like little monsters. I mean, lovely, lovely children, but a lot of them. Like, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start... Let me have your for a second. This is... Uh, never preached in lay out what I'm going to do pretty much the whole year in advance. Uh, this was not part of it. We're going to do a little series. Next week we're going to take a break. We're going to, we're going to do a series of October total conflict. And uh, you know, I just felt like this was something God wanted me to preach and to talk about. We're going to talk about in the next few weeks about conflict in marriage. we are also going to talk about in one of the weeks the conflict with another Christian and the church room. But today, we're going to talk about racial conflict. Conflict between different people because of ethnicity and barriers. I'm not asking anybody to apologize for anything. I'm not asking anybody to write a letter or make a donation to any group organization. What I'm going to ask you to do at this service in this entire month is to act like a Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is that to conduct yourself by a person who, who has been blood-bought by the blood of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and to treat other human beings as they are, amen in God's image. So with that, would you join me in prayer? Your gracious heavenly Father, I just ask that your spirit would be upon me and Father, that you would uh, help me to deliver your words and in your message. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Okay. I, I do not preach the same way that I used to preach. My wife has slowly been wearing me down. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like the album. I am originally a stand-on-the-chair, wave-a-white Yankee, old-school, southern, uh, revival-style preacher. And, uh, she's been wearing me down. But before the technology became what it was, uh, we were going to leave faith where we were at for all percent of years. And so as you, as a pastor, you send out examples of yourself preaching and stuff. Now we do it on YouTube or anything else. You know, you have hundreds of them and you can see how you preach and your style and stuff. Um, but when we were doing this, I had a church contact. We had a great conversation with the, the head of the pulpit committee. We talked about philosophy and different other things. And, it was going really well and everything. And so he said, okay, well, my, our secretary will contact you this week and we'll set up a Sunday. That's good. And we would like, to have you come preach for us? Because we listen to your preaching. We really liked it. It's nice to hear that something. <laughs> and that's okay. So I'm talking to the secretary and uh, right in the middle of the conversation, she stops me and she says, you sound Caucasian. <laughs> and I said, Well, ma'am, I haven't in my entire life. (laughs) I said, "Well, is that a problem?" And she says, "You do realize this is a black church." And I said, "No, I I didn't realize that. I mean, I thought maybe over the phone you might have been a a black lady. I didn't realize it." I said, "I said, is that going to be a problem?" She said, "Well, "Well," she kind of paused. Well, you know, no, no, no. Then she went back to that. I said, "Okay." I talked with Sandra, and we set up a date, but we were going to go and uh, preach there and stuff. See, they had only heard me preach. They had only heard Brother Steve preach, you know, a little different style. You get Pastor Steve. He tries to be a little more refined and educated. You know? And uh, we were going to go, and I talked with Sandra. And I said, what if we do? What if we went?" And she said, that would be awesome. I said, that would be amazing and uh, then another church had just kind of, and I contacted them and said, "Well, I've already accepted a, a call in another place," and they were very, they were very relieved. <laughs> they were relieved, and uh, I thought about that. How sad that this know, at this time is the most segregated time in America. Mm-hmm. That, that we have so many barriers that keep us from worshiping together, that keep us from just meeting together. And, and, and I understand, well, I, I don't feel comfortable, or I would feel, man, if, if you're a human being, you're a sinner just like me, it is Jesus. Yeah. And I would wish that we would not have all of those things that keep us from other believers in Jesus. So we start today, and we're going to talk about conflict. And this conflict we're going to talk about can be applied to a lot of different areas in your life also. You can apply this to family. You can apply this to marriage and everything that we're going to talk about, about how to resolve these types of conflicts today. Because we're going to look at the Word of God because the Bible says a lot about that. But if you're taking notes today, we're going to start with this thought. Jesus erases barriers. It is Galatians chapter 3 where we won't be, but in Galatians chapter 3... The Apostle Paul will say this, if you know Jesus and if you're saved, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is a racial conflict in America, in churches, in the world, by the way. And by the way, anybody ever said, oh, America, America actually does better, if you know your history, America does better than this, on average, than most other nations in the world. You see, the answer, well, the answer is going to be some sort of kumbaya, the answer is going to be some government intervention. No, I'm going to tell you what the answer is. The answer is Jesus. Because Islam doesn't say this. Muhammad wouldn't teach this. Confucius doesn't teach this. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal. Because at the foot of the cross, if you're taking notes, at the cross, there are only Sinners. At the cross of Jesus Christ, there aren't black, white, Hispanic, there aren't Irish, there aren't any different groups, there aren't alcoholics, there aren't sober people, there aren't straights, there aren't gays, there aren't any... No, at the foot of the cross, there's only people who need Jesus, there's only sinners. See, the conflict that we're talking about today, particularly, is the conflict in racial divide. And maybe you're asking yourself, who are you to speak on this issue? Well first of all, first of all, I'm the preacher, so I can talk about whatever I want. When <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I started thinking about this, honestly, I think I might be one of the most qualified people to talk about this. I grew up in Shelby Township. I did not see a black person, or a Hispanic person, until high school. I graduated at Utica Eisenhower, class of 700 people. One black guy in the entire group. One black guy in the entire school, in fact. Then I went on and I married outside of my race. Now see, up here north in Michigan, I married a full-blooded Mexican, a full-blooded Irish person. You don't think that's a big deal. Ha, ha, ha. You don't know what you're talking about. Because the first place we went to after we got out of secondary, we went to on staff in West Texas. Do you understand? A lot of people don't know this. In West Texas, they had segregated schools. They had black schools, they had white schools, and they had Hispanic schools. So you didn't even know that, did you? In fact, we were there, and one of our students kind of, not really embarrassed, not really trying to put us down, but just said it right to our face and said it to my dad doesn't think the two of you should be married. And I replied, well, I don't think your dad should reproduce. (laughs) I used to tell my student ministry boys all the time, I would say, be a American Mexican. Man, they're the most beautiful women on the planet, and uh, they're they a little like their food—hot and spicy. Sometimes they'll give you heartburn, but it's a great ride. <laughs> <laughs> then we left there. We went to minister to a school. We went to a Christian school in the south side of Dallas. You don't know what the south side of Dallas is like. Uh, the south side of Dallas. The school that we ministered to was seventy to eighty percent black. We lived there in South Dallas. I lived in Pleasant Grove. You don't know what that means. I live in the hood. Pleasant Grove, was a, we were the only white people on our street, across the street, when there was actually a crack house. I know what it's like to buy milk through a six-inch plate of Pepsi glass at a convenience store. We left after a lady down the street was shot down to death by her cousin and then the guy also shot down her two small children. That was our last day there. Didn't make the news. Guess that did, I guess that was, I guess she was inconvenient for the media to report on. By the way, the state of Texas two years ago executed that man, thank God. I'm raising mixed children. You don't think about that, do you? It was funny because uh, my kids went to a school, an e-course, a charter school. It's 50-50. Uh, 50% girl, 50% boy. No, that's not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was. And so Sandra's in charge of the aftercare program at Little Reagan. Came running up to her with uh, two of her little black friends and stuff like that. And she ran up with them and she said, Mom, tell them. She's like, second grade, tell them. And Sandy was like, "What? Tell them what? Tell them I am too mixed." And they were like, "She is not." She goes to the Santa Ana to explain to them. Well, yes, I'm Mexican, and her dad is Irish. She is technically a mixed child. Now, you look at her, you don't think that, but she is. It's funny in high school she would wear T-shirts that said "Proud Mexican." (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been pulled over by the police in Detroit. Me and three of my friends on a church activity, we got lost. We got lost in the wrong neighborhood. Two cops pulled us over. cop put his bully club in the back of my back and pushed me. I know what a 1987 Iron Camaro tastes like because I've had my face in one. See so why'd they pull you over? Because we were three white guys in the wrong neighborhood. You know what I said to that cop? Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. That's why we here today. I had people look me in the face. I've had people look me in the face and flat out tell me, I don't like you because you're white. When I was ministering in the school in South Dallas, one of the young men, we just became really good friends. And I had the chance to lead him to Christ. And uh, we are still friends now. Every now and then I go back to South Dallas. He owns and operates this uh, chicken restaurant. And I come in and he goes, Mr. Sherman, And he's still a great guy and everything. But one time I sat there and I talked to him and I said, James, just tell me this. Tell me the truth. I said, why don't the black students here like me? I said, the white kids like me, the Mexicans like me because I'm married. Why don't the black students like me? he looked at me and said, Mr. Sharon, I'll tell you the truth. You just look like somebody we're not supposed to like. Mm -hmm. And I kind of laughed, but inside I kind of broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And oh yes, in case you didn't know it. Next month we'll be adopting three beautiful black little girls. Mm -hmm. And their last names will be Sharon. Mm -hmm. Our
1: house is the (laughs) (laughs) U.S. I don't know, maybe I'm
0: uniquely qualified to speak on this subject, but I know that I am 100% qualified because what I'm going to talk to you about comes right from the word of God. Let me just say as I start, I don't feel anyone has to apologize for anything you didn't do. People like to apologize for their ancestors, apologize for their country, all this other stuff. You know why they like to do that? Because then they don't have to face themselves in the mirror. They don't have to look themselves in the mirror and actually see what they've done. It's easy to apologize for somebody else. It's harder to change your life. Apologize for what you've done. If you've done something to somebody at the end of this message, call them up, find them, go see them, find them on Facebook, and apologize for what you have done, not for what somebody else has done. Amen? Mm -hmm. See, I... I I just don't have much patience in a room. For white liberals trying to be the savior for black people or Mexican people, I see some people that my wife will show me sometimes. Somebody, look what they posted, and I think, well, let me just evaluate your life. Given the choice, you moved to the whitest area you could find. Oh, now you send your child to a charter, a public school, but you chose the whitest public school you could find, and now you're going to sit here and tell me about how horrible I am about what I need to change. I think, man, get off your high horse. Quit telling other people how bad they are. Why don't you do something about it actually change the life? Listen, you want to change the world? There's a whole litany of little foster kids who need a home. There's a whole bunch of kids who need to be adopted and need to be loved. You want to change the world? Why don't you put your feet and where you say your mouth is and do something about it? Because my little girls don't need you to rescue them. My little girls have a father who will fight for them. and anybody tries to do anything against them, I'm coming full Irish on you. <laughs> my little girls have a mother who will love them. And my little girls have a family and a church that will teach them Jesus. Yeah. See, there's a racial conflict in America, and the answer is Jesus. Sure. Whatever the issue is in your life, I believe Jesus is also the answer for it. You. Okay. you see, the book of Ephesians, as we're going to look at here, had a similar problem the church has become mixed. There are some Jews and there's some Gentiles. And for us, it doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, oh, Jews and Gentiles, for them, it was the greatest racial divide you could ever fathom, And especially for the Jews, because they would never th- think of, never contemplate doing anything with God with a Gentile. And now the church is starting to become mixed, And there was a conflict that erupted, and Paul kind of had to sort of settle it, because he tries to tell them, this is what you should do. And Ephesians chapter 3, Paul let them know this, listen, Paul, who says he's the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Jew of all Jews. That's basically that I'm quoting Paul here. He says this, my ministry is to the Gentiles. And he says this in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. If you're here and you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Paul says, Gentiles can get saved too. Aren't you excited about that? Amen? Yeah. I'm glad that there is. White Jesus or black Jesus or Hispanic Jesus or Asian Jesus or whatever Jesus you want to come up with. There's only one Jesus who died on the cross for you. Verse 7, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his his power. Unto me who am blessed with the least of all saints is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles That's a huge thing that the Jewish believers were listening to. Preach to the Gentiles. They had to do a whole conference in Acts chapter 15. Can Gentiles even get saved? And what should they? Is this even possible? Preaching to Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. You see? This must have shocked his audience, but if you look at that passage, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, look at the thing that Paul says repeatedly, the answer that Paul says always is Jesus. There is one word that comes out of that passage re- repeatedly. The theme of that passage is Jesus. Listen, the answer for conflict is Jesus. We're gonna see that the problem you have in your marriage, look, ladies, you don't have a husband problem. He said, Well, my man, and then it, all men are basically the same, just different levels of idiot. <laughs> they really are. And here's the thing you married him, he was exactly that way when you buried him. Amen. Well, he's changed. No, he hasn't. Men don't change, they barely change their socks. <laughs> so you don't have a husband problem, you've got a Jesus problem. Amen? He said, Oh, I got a problem with a fellow church member, I got a problem with a. You don't have a problem with a fellow church member. You don't have a problem with another Christian. You have a Jesus problem. Because if I've got a problem with somebody of a different... They did something to me or somebody... No, no. See, your problem is Jesus. You can't forgive. See, the problem we have is there's a lack of Jesus. Someone in that conflict that's going on... Someone in that conflict isn't saved. Someone in that conflict doesn't know Jesus as the Lord of their life. Someone in that conflict is in sin. And Paul will give a recipe for conflict. You can can apply this to marriage. You can apply this to why you don't talk to your sister-in-law. You can apply this to anything you want. But Paul basically, as we've seen already, is applying this to racial issues. And that's what I'm going to do today. He gives us a recipe of this. So dealing with the issue, the issue, the elephant in the room, the issue, the elephant in your marriage. That's not your mother-in-law. The elephant, the issue that... Somebody got it. The, the issue that is just right there, and you, you know it's there, but we're not going to deal with it. It's a subtle conflict. Number one, humbly pray, humbly pray. Look at verse fourteen. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse reminds me of a saying that I've heard recently in We stand for the national anthem and the flag and we bow for the cross. Amen? Amen. You know, prayer in the New Testament time was mostly done standing up. (laughs) <laughs> you look at Timothy he talks about holy hands lifting high people will apply that to worship you no know, he's talking and Paul's talking with that phrase about prayer about lifting your hands up in prayer you think about the parable that Jesus gives between the, the Pharisee Republican and the publican and the Pharisee smites his chest and says Lord be merciful me a sinner they were standing there in the temple as they were praying in most cases you will see prayer is standing up and actually worship is on your knees but here is one of the very few times it talks about the physical position of prayer being down on your knees. Now let me just construct you that this is not an instruction. Paul's not saying this is how you have to pray or anything else. But what Paul is saying here is an attitude. Paul is talking about an attitude of submission, an attitude of humility. Prayer is a two-way street. Did you know that? Prayer is a two-way conversation. You talking, but it's also you listening to God. Uh, One of the things that drives me crazy, maybe you have the same thing. If you text somebody, like my family members, and they don't respond back. All right, I love texting because you don't have to respond back immediately. You can take a time, a day, a week, a month, a year. (laughs) But seriously, you texted somebody and you're like, come on, what is wrong with you? Text me back. Can I say this politely? If your prayer time is nothing more than a list of you complaining to God and your uh, what you want from God and you are not quietly sitting there, you are like texting God, God is texting you and you're not texting God. God's trying to talk to you. Mm-hmm. The problem in our prayer life is usually it's God do this, do this, do this, it's never God, what would you want me to do? You know why we don't do that? Because all too often the what would you want me to do is not what we want to do. Uh, See, I don't want what God wants. I want God to validate what I would have. I've had people. I've had people tell me, "Well, I've prayed about this." Really? That's one of the worst decisions I've ever. I don't know who you're praying to because that's not the God of the Bible. I've had men me, "I've prayed about it. God told me to leave my life. It's not the Jesus I pray to. That's not the God of creation. I I prayed about this and God told me it's okay to to do this. You're not listening to God. You know, start today by pouring out your heart to God about an issue, but then would you do me a favor while you're down on your knees and begging God, would you open your ears? Now let me just say this also. I say this kindly. If you have an unresolved conflict with your wife, your husband, or a fellow church member, a fellow Christian, please don't pray for me. Because Jesus won't hear your prayers. We're going to see this. We'll see, well, Pastor Steve, I, I, I'm talking to God about this. Oh, really? But you're still in a huge conflict with your wife. You're in a conflict with another Christian. I, I saw what you said on Facebook. I, I see what are you mad towards this person? I see you. I've had people. You know, I've had people do to me. I stick out my hand to shake their hand. I've had people snub me. I've had people in this church do that to me. I've had people in other churches do it to me. And every time they do it to me, I always think, well, I've had better people than you snub me. <laughs> the President of the United States snubbed me once. Not on purpose. Mm-hmm. I was there in a lot of them. I was 16 years old. It was speech Ronald Reagan meeting, and so We got to go down and try and shake his hand. And he kind of went like this. And I thought, he just snubbed me. <laughs> so I, I got him back and named my daughter. him. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, believer in Jesus Christ, you've got these conflict going on with another Christian. God's not listening. Uh, What did did Jesus say about that? Leave your offering, go resolve it, and then come back and worship it. Number two, dealing with the issues. Partner with family. Partner with family. Look at Verse 15 of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul's not teaching a universal brotherhood that every person is a... Is a no, he's talking about the people that are in heaven at this period of time. He's talking about people who have made Jesus Christ their personal savior. But what he is referencing is, though, specifically, is that anyone, at any time period, at any race, or any nation, or any ethnic background, or with any problem, if they are a Christian, they are part of your family. Let me say this about family. First of all, family is not limited to race. Family is not limited to race. I am finding that. Out. It's not limited to those people who are uh, blood with you. You better get used to being around other races. Because there is no segregation in heaven. There's only saints. Amen? Amen. Let me just clarify this about heaven. Heaven, family of God, being a saint. Any person who has asked Christ to come into heart and be their savior is going to heaven, is part of the family of God and is a saint. Now, how you do that is first by recognizing that you are a sinner separated from God. You were born, you were conceived in sin. And in while you were yet a sinner, God loved you so much He sent Jesus to be. Born of a virgin to live 33 sinless years to die on a cruel Roman cross for your sin. And the only way you're getting to heaven, the only way you're part of the family of God, the only way you're saved is by accepting what Christ did on the cross for you. Amen. That changes everything. You sit there and tell me, well, I'm a Christian, but I hate. I, I, don't, I don't see how that's possible. And lastly, on family, my family is my first church. In a few weeks, uh, we're going to see that you cannot be blessed by God and still have unresolved conflict with a fellow church member. It's not possible. See, church is family. Listen to me, church is family. See, I don't understand leaving your family over conflict. I always have to qualify something. Listen, if you're in a marriage, the only biblical reason for divorce is adultery. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to tell you, that I've had people, I've had women who've been cheated out 10, 15, 20 times in the past. Oh, you got to go back to them. no, you to go back to them. that sorry dog broke your marriage vows by committing adultery. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. <laughs> <Hey, dad. laughs> but adultery or some sort of physical abuse taking on, he's just not, she's just not. <coughs> well, look, that might hurt someone's feelings. It's not my intention to hurt their feelings. You know what? Leaving your church because you don't like your pastor is just as wrong. Mm-hmm. I had a, a pastor in Illinois. had this family. They were takers. They were moochers. That's the only reason they kind of came. We gave them a car. And we did a whole bunch of stuff for them. And stuff. By the time they kind of drained us dry, the, the, the mom <laughs> said they were going to another church. And she started hemming and hauling around it. And I was like, I don't care. You're not getting out of this, was just saying. We just feel led. I'm like, that's a bunch of garbage. And I said, what's the real reason? So finally she shot back at me. And she said, you, I don't like you. And I said, so what? I don't like you, and I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I said, you don't have to like me. You have to love me. I could care less if you don't like me. In fact, I don't like you either, and I have more reason not to like you. And I said, you know what you're doing? I said, i tell you exactly what you're doing. You're leaving this church because in a few months, you're leaving your husband. And you know if you leave your husband, we're not going to support that. And you're going to get judgment. And you're going to feel the wrath of God come on you every Sunday because you know you're doing wrong. You're leaving your husband, and you got to leave this church first. She said, I am not. I said, yes, you are. She <laughs> stormed out. Two months later, she left her husband. <laughs> That's exactly what she was doing. Listen, you leave your church, you leave your family. I grew up at First Baptist in Washington. You hear me talk about it, you probably think, oh, it's the greatest church in the world. No, it was the screwiest church you've probably ever been at. A bunch of ridiculous stuff took place. I found out later, later in life, my dad didn't even like going there. And I said, well, why did we go there? He said, because they preached the word, word and they took care of my kids. He said, that was good enough. church perfect churches there, Gary. If there was, Gary joined it, it'd be ruined, because Jerry's (laughs) not Churches aren't perfect, but, well, churches have conflict. I like this little joke. Uh, A pastor of a first Baptist church thought by maybe changing their name, they would attract a younger crowd. They would revitalize the church. And so they were going to change it from First Baptist to Christian church. They had a big meeting about it. The meeting was going badly. It was kind of getting ruckus and it was kind of conflict was taking place. So finally, one old man in the back really summarized the entire point. He stood up and said, I want to say something.
1: I've been a Baptist my entire life and I
0: am not about to start being a Christian now. <laughs> To partner with your family. You know, can I say this, by the way? Thank you for everybody who loves my kids. Every Sunday school teacher, every Iwana teacher, every gym, worker, everybody who's participating in it, you are helping my kids. And you are helping me teach them. Thank you. So one time, it's a village to raise a child. A bunch of garbage. It takes a family and a church to help to raise a child. Number three, you keep your village, I'll keep all of it. You're going to deal with the issue? You need spiritual power. Look at verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be the strength with light by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all sin. Look at these things Paul is talking about. This is amazing. What is the breadth and the length and the depth of height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth understanding, that ye might be filled with the, hope, the fullness of God. Paul is teaching a theological truth here, and it's this. It's the indwelling. The the theological term is indwelling. It means that the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in the body of a believer. See, your body is the temple of God. You did not realize that, did you? Maybe you should rethink putting so much ranch dressing on something. At salvation, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Romans eight nine tells us that no one who doesn't have the Spirit of God is not a believer. You were baptized, but the filling of the Holy Spirit takes place. It should take place daily in your life, sometimes repeatedly, when the Holy Spirit comes in and enables you to do things in your own flesh you would never be able to do. You are in a spiritual battle. Did you know that there is a spiritual conflict? Paul will say this in Ephesians six twelve. This is your marriage problem. This is the whole issue. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, your problem isn't with another Christian, a church, your husband, your wife. Your problem is with God. See, the reason you can't exist with other races is because you have a spiritual problem first. Now, let me just say this for a second. There is a spiritual war going on. And for lack of a better term, I'm going to use this. I'm not trying to make Star Wars right. But for lack of a better term, there is God's side and there is a dark side. Amen? We are in a spiritual war. And one of the leading proponents of spiritual racism, of spiritual evil, is the founder of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger was a devout, avid racist. She was part of it. She was a eugenist. That's what Hitler was. She said, and you can find her quotes, there are too many brown people, there are too many Italians. There, she called little black babies weeds. And abortion was one of her ways to limit the spread of this cancer on our planet and in our country. Now you stop and realize this. Little black girls make up 6% of our population of our country, and yet 30% of all abortions this year will be non-black babies. You, so, you go find a Planned Parenthood. You know what you'll find? You'll find it's in predominantly Black or Hispanic communities. We are tearing down statues of Confederate generals. I mean, fine, tear them down. But while you do that, defund Planned Parenthood because Margaret saying that her ideas come from the pit of hell. Abortion is racism, and it's the it's the it's the acting out of one of the most evil ungodly persons who's ever been on this planet, and by the name of Margaret Sanger. Her ideas are both from the pit of hell. There's a spiritual battle, and it requires a spiritual power. And I don't mean to get political, and I know that issue's become political all about Planned Parenthood and everything else, but listen, if Stonewall Jackson's not good enough to have a monument to him, then Planned Parenthood should get one dime of taxpayer money. It's the same. In fact, listen, Stonewall Jackson used to teach a black Sunday school class of kids, and he sent money back during the Civil War. I know he was fighting on the wrong side of history, but he loved more black people than Margaret Sander will ever love. I get a little wild up there. Praise the Lord. that bothers me. 30% of all abortions are going to be done on African American. I guess you got it. See, there's a spiritual battle taking place. How are you going to fight spiritually if you're fighting fleshly? See, here's the result, the end, the last two verses. Now, to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power of work in us. He said, I can never do this, Pastor Steve. There's a, there's a past in my family. My husband has done something. I have an issue, and somebody is completely wrong with me, Pastor Steve. To do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without it and the church said Amen. Amen. Amen months after the Civil War ended in a small church in Richmond, Virginia a black man came forward in the church to kneel at the altar and receive communion the church was shocked what was this man thinking, many of them thought? The war was over, but segregation still existed. And while the rest of the church was in a shock, a respected, older member of the church stood up, walked down to the altar, and kneeled next to that man as a brother in Christ, and received communion with him. Soon, following his example, the whole church, whites and blacks, came down, and the barrier was finally broken. And that man was Robert E. Sometimes it just takes one person to stand up and say, This is wrong. Or better yet, it takes one person to actually do what Jesus would do. And somebody else follows their example. Start an invitation and never go to an invitation for If there's racial barriers in your life, <clears throat> you don't like Eskimos. I don't know. It, not liking Eskimos is ridiculous as not liking anybody else. But there's some issue. Would you, in your seat or in your, this altar come forward, admit it to God? Maybe somebody's done you something horrible, something bad in your life. Christian, you're in conflict. If you're saved, the Spirit of God is pushing you. Would you please answer that push? And how about this, to make it easy for anybody, everyone here, how about during our invitation, would you pray that Oakland Woods would never be called a white church? but that Oakland Woods would just be Jesus' church and reach people, no matter what their color, ethnic group, background, money, it doesn't matter what. Because if you're red, yellow, black, and white, you are precious in his sight. Would you join me in prayer that Oakland Woods would break down these barriers? Because let me remind you one last time, Jesus erases barriers. You bow your head and close your eyes. Open.